Do you know the name Roger Moore? Roger Moore was an actor. He actually died not too long ago, about five years ago, um, but he was a, a, a famous actor, particularly in the 70s and 80s, because he was the face of the James Bond franchise for, I think, nine films. I mean, he's the most, he had the most James Bond films of, of any of the, the Bond actors. And this, they interviewed him a couple years before he died, before he passed away, and he was in his 80s, and they were asking him what it was like to be a Bond actor, you know, there's this kind of fraternity of men who have played James Bond, and they get together and reminisce, and it's just, there's kind of this group, and, and they were asking him, well, you know, have you been to those? Have you spent time with these guys? And he said, yeah, I've spent time with them, except, you know, I really haven't spent time with Sean Connery. Sean Connery was the original James Bond, and Sean Connery, oh, he kind of always felt like he could never move beyond James Bond. Like, you know that happens to some actors, they play a role, an iconic role, and they can just never do something else. It's just kind of that you're always only James Bond. And he kind of resented that, and so he didn't really spend time with them at all. And so they asked him, you know, you know are you spending time with these guys? And he says, yes, but not with Sean Connery. Sean Connery really was sort of not enamored with being confused with James Bond all the time. Because Sean, he was a good actor, but he felt that he was only being remembered for Bond. But Roger Moore, what he says is he says, I personally don't care. I just want to be remembered. And, and that interview was in 2014 is when I heard that. And it's, and it's always stuck with me because I think that what he's getting at is he, he's saying, listen, I just want to have mattered. Right? That's what's saying. I want to be, I want to have been significant. And it's this moment of honesty, and, and I get it. Like, I, I know what that feels like, to want to have Matt, to want to be significant. Do, do you get that? Do you, do you understand that? I mean, I, I think that in some ways we're all chasing significance in one way or another. We, we all want it. We all want to have a significance. And we invariably base our lives, we direct our lives on the things that we rely on for significance. Those things actually shape the way that we live and act and interact with the world. Well, our passage today leans into that very subject. What is it that you're basing your life on? What is it that you're relying on to give you ultimate significance? And the Apostle Paul, he kind of gives you two options. He says, big picture, big picture, you're going to end up basing your life on one of two things. And the two things are that you're going to, and what he says in this passage is you're going to live by the law. That is, you're going to live by merit. You're going to live by your performance. Or the other option is that you live by faith. And those are my two points this morning. We're going to, that you're, you will live by merit or you will live by faith. Those are the two options that Paul gives us this morning in our passage. Um, and we're going to turn to that passage now. If, we're going to be in Galatians 3, as I said, and we're going to read 10 through 14. Here now the reading of God's Word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law 
by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is God's good word. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does it look like to live by merit? I heard, actually it was the same year that I heard this interview with Roger Moore, I heard a speech that David Brooks gave. David Brooks is a New York Times columnist, widely read, uh, widely respected and he was giving a speech in which he, he, he asked the very question that we're considering this morning is, what is your life about? What are you going to base your life on? What are you going to find significance in? And he kind of gives two options, just like Paul. However, his options are somewhat different. Well, he differentiated in this speech between what he called resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And resume virtues are the things that, we, that you can put on your resume, makes sense. It's, it's things like uh, career, achievements, goals, the things that we would put and say, I have done these things. Well, eulogy virtues are the type of things that don't go on your resume. They're the type of things that you would want to be said about you at your funeral. You know, think, it's things like, like that we loved well, that we loved sacrificially, that we had integrity, not that we just did good things, but that we were good. And, Paul, and, and, and David Brooks is saying, well, which way of living are you going to pursue? Which is it going to be? Are you going to live for achieving? Are you going to live for becoming? Are you going to live for goals or character, for, for uh, what you do or who you are? What are you going to base your life on and direct your life towards, resume virtues or eulogy virtues? And I think most of us, if we hear that, we, we would agree with him. I mean, he lands on eulogy virtues, and we would say, yeah, at the end of my life, what I want to matter is who I was and how I, who I was to other people, not the things that I achieved in my life. But the question this morning is, that's, but can we base our lives off of it? Can we find all of our significance in in, in becoming the right kind of person, pursuing a certain character? Can we base our significance on that? Well, do you know that the law, that the law which Paul talks about a lot in this passage, it actually is really concerned with both of those things, both achieving and becoming, both what you do and who you are. And Jesus maybe puts this better than anyone when he says, and actually in the Sermon on the Mount he says this, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What Jesus is saying is that the law doesn't stop with what you do. Like, don't murder, right? Do not murder. Okay, if I check that box, is that enough? No, the law is actually concerned with more than that. It wants you to become the kind of person who doesn't even get angry with your brother for unjust or unrighteous reasons. So the law is absolutely concerned with who you are and what you do. It's concerned with both of those things. But the question before us is, can you base your life on what you achieve or who you become? 
Can you rely on attaining these virtues for your ultimate significance? And the churches in Galatia, to whom Paul was writing, they were full of primarily Gentiles. And the situation that precipitated Paul's letter that we're studying right now was that Jewish Christians had come up from Jerusalem, and we call them the Judaizers. The Judaizers had come up from Jerusalem, and they began to teach the Gentile Christians that it wasn't enough that they were Christians. It's that they had to become Jewish Christians. And they were saying, listen, if you want God to be your God, then you have to become His kind of people, okay? And they would point at the law and say, that is how you do it. It's through obeying these things. It's through circumcising the males. It's through, it's through certain dietary restrictions, certain ceremonial laws. And for Christians, even for these, for these Christians here and for us today, that, and honestly, it's not just Christians. It's for most people of faith. Uh, people of any religion would say, yeah, what, where the ultimate significance that you and I need to find is to be known and loved by God, okay? That, there, that there's nothing bigger and there's nothing better than the love of an infinite God. Like that is where our ultimate significance needs to be found. And the Judaizers, what they were saying, in effect, what they were saying was, listen, God wants to live with you. He wants to live with you. You just need to build the house that you and God are going to live in together forever. And God is really excited and He's really ready to live with you. And He's even going to give you the materials. The materials is the law. You just have to build the house that you and God are going to live in together. And do you know what Paul calls that? He calls that in verse 10, he calls that relying on the works of the law. If you think that the only way that God will come live with you, that you will have, find this ultimate significance, this ultimate love, is if you build the house yourself, then your trust is in your own merit. You are living by merit. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to build the houses with achievement, right? Checking all the boxes of the Ten Commandments, right? I got all those done, got it, I'm not doing that, right? Obedience. It doesn't matter if you're trying to do that or you're trying to build that house with character, with becoming a good person, a certain kind of person. I loved well, right? That is to say, eulogy virtues are important, but they cannot save you. They cannot give you ultimate significance. And if you're basing your life on your ability to build the house, you're doing, whether you're doing that by resume or eulogy virtues, you are trying to merit your own salvation. You're basing your life on your performance. You're living by merit. Excuse me. <clears throat> and I think that's a metaphor for so much of our lives. We're trying to build a house that we will be okay in. And it doesn't matter what, it is, what God we're serving you know, if, it's, if what brings us ultimate significance in life is being productive, right, churning out things so that I'll know that I matter, then you're going to construct this house of a life that's full of day planners and of high efficiency meetings and of, you know, left lane driving and efficiency. This perfect dwelling place for the God of productivity 
Of course, some of us say, "Ah, that's not me, thank God. Listen, I'm so glad that I'm not like that. The world needs more people like me. We're too busy, and I'm relaxed. I'm flexible. I'm, I'm always make, I always make time for other people. I have a, I, what I have is a perfect dwelling place for the God of flexibility. And I'm serving that God so well. I'm doing such a good job of it. Every lifestyle choice, every worldview, every religion, everything you look to for significance demands your performance. Your acceptability, your fulfillment, your salvation is dependent on what you do. You have to earn it. You have to deserve it. You have to build the house. But what happens? What happens when you base your life on your performance, when you base your life on achieving something or becoming someone, and then you don't measure up? Well, this is where Paul introduces the language of curse. So in verse 10, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27, he he says, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The Judaizers were saying, you have to have faith and you have to obey the law. God will love you and accept you if you have faith and you obey the law. And what Paul is saying, listen, the the law that you're talking about, you know the one with all the dietary restrictions and all the ceremonial laws, that law, that law also says, remember this is from Deuteronomy, that law also says that if you don't completely obey, you'll be cursed. Do you want all of it or not? And so this equation will only ever work if you obey perfectly. And the law itself understands that that is not, if that is the equation, you're done. And not only are you done, you're cursed. So let's, let, let, let's think about this in two ways. The, the, the reality of the curse and the experience of the curse. The reality of the curse is Paul is referring to something that's just objectively true. That when we sin, we receive God's curse on us. Now, biblically speaking, God's curse is his rejection. God's curse is to not live with God, to not be loved by God. And because we cannot meet the standards of the law and thereby merit our relationship with him, trying to do so only ensures all the more that we will be cursed. Now, you might be asking, well, why, why in the world would God be so harsh? Like, why? Like, curse? Like, what are we talking about? Why so harsh? Well, this past week I was listening to, I think it, I, that's a, that is a huge question. <laughs> and I don't have time to answer all of it, but, I, but think about this. This, this. this week I was listening to a podcast about um, kind of the beginning of the labor unions in America. And kind of around the turn of the century, when situ- the situation for workers was so bad that they had to form labor unions so that it could improve. And it was, this podcast was describing this factory in Chicago that was, I think, eight or ten stories high. And it, the bottom floors caught on fire. And it's not like they had, you know, codes about fire escapes and stuff. And so the fire starts going up the building. And do you know what I did? You know that little 30-second forward thing? 
I just skipped. Like, I, I couldn't listen to it. It was too rough, right? I couldn't listen to those 15 minutes describing that thing. I just, no, no way. Just skipped it. Do you all know that God, God does not ever skip any of the tragedy in this world? You know, have you ever had that experience where you're watching the news and you're like, oh, goodness, I can't, I can't anymore? God, God never looks away. He never doesn't see any of the tragedy, any of the oppression, any of the selfishness and self-centeredness. He doesn't ever look away. He sees it all. And he's not okay with it. And that's why there's a curse. Because it's serious to God. He takes it very, very seriously. So that's the reality of the curse. Well, what about the experience of the curse? And this is more subjective. And by that I mean it's more situational. It's more experiential. Like what, what does it look like to, when, when we live our lives basing it on our merit, on our, find our significance and our worth in our performance? Well, if your salvation is in or your sense of significance is in your achievements, then you're going to experience anxiety. You're going to experience stress. You're going to be envious and critical of other people. You're going to run over other people or you're going to resent them as they climb higher on the ladder than you. It will not go well. That is the experience of the curse. If your salvation is in your achievements, it's going to twist you. It's going to mess you up. It's not going to go well. Well, what if your, um, your salvation is in your character, that I would become the right kind of person, that at my funeral people would say nice things about me? What will happen if that is where all of your significance is found? Well, you're going to be superior than other people when you do better than them. You're going to be judgmental when you feel like they're not matching up to my standards and you know what else? You're going to hate those parts of you that don't match up to your own standards, that you kind of have to hide behind, you know, kind of have to hide so that you can feel superior while also experiencing this self-loathing. I mean, it is a cycle. It is a cycle. That is the experience of the curse. It does not work. It doesn't work to earn your significance by your performance. It is a vicious cycle downwards. And the more you try to earn your salvation, the more it will, you will come up against the fact that you cannot. And the more you'll experience the curse, so you'll try harder, and it won't work even more, and you'll experience the curse even deeper. It all begins again and again and again. Are you worn out? Is life grinding you to a pulp? Feel like it? If you're worn out, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's actually a blessing from God. Maybe that's actually a blessing where God is pressing on you and he's saying, you cannot earn your own salvation, but you don't have to. But you don't have to. Do all the things you're looking for do, do, do any of the things that, that you are looking to for significance say that? You don't have to earn your salvation. Or do they just say to you, try harder, work harder, become better, get better? What do they say? God says, you, don't ha- you cannot earn your salvation, own salvation, and you do not have to. 
And in fact, the law was never meant to be something that you trust in in the first place. That's not what the law is for. You cannot live by merit. And do you know, Paul says that the Old Testament recognizes this. The Old Testament that the Judaizers were pointing to saying, see, see? No, the Old Testament itself says that you cannot live by merit. So Paul, once again, he turns back the pages to the Old Testament. In verse 11, he quotes from Habakkuk. Do you all even know? I mean, where in the world is that? He quotes from Habakkuk. It's a prophet in the Old Testament. Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So we live, he's calling us to live by faith. Faith in what? Well, let's go back to that word relying in verse 10, that word relying. What are we relying on? This, this is what Paul is calling us to. Relying on God to accomplish what we cannot through Jesus. Relying on God to accomplish what we cannot through Jesus. And that's the contrast that Paul draws in verse 13 of our passage. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeems us from the curse. And the word redeem is, is a common word that we use in church, but, I don't, we, but the connotation where it comes from is from, this, this, the connotations are of buying from slavery, Right, the curse enslaves us. And, and the truth is, is that we owe God our obedience and our loyalty, and we can't do it. And there's this debt that we owe to God, and we can't get out from under it. But Jesus pays the debt by becoming a curse for us. That's what Paul is saying. But how does that work? How does he pay our, cur- our debt? Why would he have to pay it? Why can't God, like, wh- why can't God just let, say, you know what, whatever? doesn't matter. Why would he have to take on the curse? Well, imagine if you're sitting here this morning and, I don't know, maybe the sound of my voice just kind of uh, grits you and you, you kind of get more and more worked up and offended by the end of the service and, and, and you just, you go outside and you say, I'm going to teach Jeff a lesson. And you go out there and you just slash my tires and key my car and then, and, and it you cause about, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of damage, let's say. But take a couple days, you cool off, and you realize, okay, maybe an overreaction, okay? So I probably need to go make things right with Jeff. And so you come to me and you say, listen, it was me, and I'm really sorry. Well, there's really two options there. One is that I could say, well, you know what, that's okay. Um, it did cost me $2,000 to fix it, and I'd appreciate it if you helped me out with that, okay? So that's one option. The other option is that I say, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's all good. Now, who then has to pay that $2,000? Well, I do. That doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just disappear into the ether. I mean, now I have to bear that weight. I have to bear that cost. You see, someone always has to bear the cost of the debt. It doesn't just go away. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus bore the cost of our debt. We have incurred the curse. And he takes the curse on himself voluntarily 
to redeem us from it. You pay nothing. He pays everything. And Paul says, listen, do you want further proof that he was cursed? Do you want further proof that he paid the debt although he did not deserve to? Do you want further proof? Look no further than the fact that he was hung on a tree. And he points again to the Old Testament. This time from Deuteronomy 21, he says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was cursed for you and for me to pay the debt that we owed. To live by faith is to rely on God to accomplish what we cannot and to accomplish it through Jesus. God never intended his people to find life through the law. The Bible teaches first to, from first to last, from the Old Testament that Paul is drawing from for, to the New Testament that he is writing. The, the Bible teaches us that you don't build the house. It is God's house. It is built. It is perfect. And he says, come inside my children. I long to live with you forever. You are mine. There's nothing that you can do to, to build this house. It is perfect. Come inside. Live with me forever. You can be a mess. Your past can be an absolute train wreck. And he says, come inside. You can be, have secret sins right now that no one knows about and are crushing you. And if you have faith, he says, come inside. You do not have to build the house. The house is built. And faith is walking through that front door. This house is a house of blessing for the children of God. So let's go back to that question. Are you worn out? Are you worn out? Does it feel like the boot of performance is on your neck? One of our staff members said, listen, the gospel is good news for worn out people. God's blessing is for people who just can't do it anymore. It's free. It's free because of grace. It's secure because of what Jesus has done. It is received by faith alone. God's blessings for his people. What are those blessings? Well, our passage um, highlights a couple. First is that you get Jesus' resume. You get his resume. Paul alludes to this in verse 11 when he uses the word justified. To be justified is to be made right with God. Your relationship is secure. Your relationship is right with God because Jesus took your curse and you get his blessing. Now, that's a really important point because I think that sometimes we can, we can often think of the gospel as a second chance. Second chance. Like, listen, Jesus' death wipes your slate clean and you get to start over again and build this godly life. But that's not the gospel at all. The gospel teaches not that Jesus wipes your slate clean. It's that he takes your slate, your, your resume. He takes it and he gives you his resume. That is to say, um, he fully, his resume, what is it full of? It is full of his perfect obedience. 
his perfect achievements. He, he perfectly obeyed everything in the law. And it's not that he just can like check the box of the law. His character was perfect. And his resume is full of how perfect of a man he was, how perfect his character was. The, the Bible says that a bruised reed he would not break. That's how gentle he was. He was so the most gentle man that has ever lived. When he was 12, he went to the temple with his parents, and, and all the teachers and rabbis and everyone who had been teaching God's law for decades sat and listened to him just enraptured by how wise this 12-year-old boy was. He was so wise. You know, sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, they flocked to him and they loved to spend time with him because he was never cold and harsh. He was never superior. He loved them and accepted them and he treated them like human beings. His character was perfect and his resume is full of it. You cannot add to that resume and it is the resume that is given fully and totally to you. That's why Paul can say in verse 14 that in Jesus Christ the blessings of Abraham came to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles because you actually can't add being Jewish to Jesus' resume. You can't add being Presbyterian to Jesus' resume. You can't add being a perfect parent or a perfect co-worker or a perfect church member to Jesus' resume. It is perfect and it's given to you. You get Jesus' Christ's resume, and you get all the blessings that that resume deserves. Do you have a tendency to minimize this in your life? I, I, I know that, I, you know, one of the ways in which we minimize this is by comparison. I don't know, I find myself doing that, that kind of little bit of self-justification of like, well, you look at that other person, and you think, well, I'm certainly more acceptable to God than them, right? Or, or like, at least I'm not that bad. But what this passage says is, listen, us, we, we are. We really are that bad. We really are deserving of God's curse. We really are deserving of His rejection. We really are that bad. But if you have faith in Jesus, you get God's blessings instead of his curse. When God looks at you, he sees Christ's resume, not yours. You get significance, not desperate grasping through performance. Another blessing that Paul highlights here is the Holy Spirit. And Paul, uh, Brian made this point last week. So verse 14, you see that he says that so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Brian made the point last week that the Holy Spirit is God himself. He's one of the three persons of the Trinity. And we're to pray to him, to love him, to worship him. And when we have faith, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside us and among us. That we receive the promised spirit through faith, us, 
And God, God himself comes to dwell in you. And think, just think about the intimacy of that, the security of that. Like that God, I mean, we get to have that kind of intimacy and security with God that God would dwell inside of us. If that is true, that will change absolutely everything about our lives. And when God comes to live in you, He does change absolutely everything about your life. He changes you. You become more the person that you want to be. Those eulogy virtues that you want, He begins to work those in you. He begins to make you more the person that he wants you to be. It's not through perform, but it's not like this performance to merit God's blessing. No, it's that God dwells in you and in his good and his his goodness, his power is directed towards you and, and at you to shape you and make you more into the image of Christ. God truly cares about what you do and who you become. He cares about that stuff. But what he promises us is not just, hey, I care about this, figure it out. He actually gives us himself. Himself. Uh, there's this security that we, can, that we can lean into. We can lean into change and gratitude and, and intimacy, knowing that even when the places where we fall short, it doesn't mean rejection. And thus, the, it's, and thus, our, our pursuit of holiness isn't self-centered. It can be God-centered. And we also know it's not just, hey, figure it out, guys. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, the Holy Spirit is in us in power to change us. God gives us the security and the power to change by His very presence in our lives. God blesses us. He blesses His people. All right, I need to wrap up. Let me close with this. Yesterday afternoon, my son James, he's almost three, he was riding on his little balance bike, and he fell, you know, skinned his hand up a little bit. And, you know, I'm walking towards him as he's crying, walking towards me, and he says to me what he says a lot. And one of the things he says to me is, he says, I hold you, I hold you. When he wants you to, me to pick him up, he says, I hold you. And, and, you know, he's a cute kid, right? Um, <laughs> uh, here's the point. That's a picture of what it means to live by faith. That we, we're, we're trusting God. We're holding on to his promises. We're loving him. We're pursuing him. And we're holding on to him by faith. But what we're doing is we're like a little kid that says, I hold you, Daddy. And what God says back to us as he picks us up in his arms is he says, no, 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 no. I'm holding you. You're not holding. I'm holding you. I've got you. You are secure and safe, not because your grip on me is so tight, but because my grip on you is so tight. To live by faith is to believe that that is true. And to find all of your significance in that love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know intellectually that this is true. That we are justified
by your blood. And that you, you fully and totally have made a way for us to be loved and accepted by the Father. And yet, Lord, we so often live as if it were not true. Lord, free us from the slavery of trying to merit our own salvation, our own significance in this world, and, and drive us to you. Even in the places where we feel how short we fall, Lord, use those to drive us to you in hope um, and in faith, knowing that you alone can save us, and you have. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.